Hey, Forge family. In our last podcast, we were finishing chapter one of Zechariah and were introduced to the first three visions of that prophet. On a specific night in February, 519 BC, Zechariah had open-eyed visions of angels, horses, horns, and of craftsmen. An angel came to stand with him to interpret the visions, and the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, steps out of the trees and addresses a patrol of angels who were sent to discover the state of the surrounding nations. The report comes back, all is calm in the Gentile nations. But Judah has a twist in their hearts. The angel of the Lord addressed the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Savaoth. Now this is, this is God the Son addressing God Almighty, God of hosts, the Father God. And he says, How long will you withhold your compassion from Jerusalem and Judah? And the answer comes back, interpreted by the angel standing with Zechariah. The Lord is exceeding jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Yes, he had been angry with Judah for a short time. But now he was very angry with the nations who had taken Judah captive and had oppressed Judah far more than the captivity the Lord had ordained as judgment. A second and third vision comes in that night. Horns signifying power and control and craftsmen coming to dismantle the powerful nations that had scattered Judah. The Lord God was going to get get uh, things set right for all the wrongs done to his people. <clears throat> all right, let's play. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Almighty, you revealed to this young prophet that you loved Judah and you were coming with compassion and power. Many of your, your people of Judah had not yet turned back to you, but you were acting on their behalf anyway. You initiate. We respond. Make of us responders in righteousness and obedience. Open our eyes to see you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, collect your notebooks, text of Zechariah, cup of coffee, and get settled before the word. In verse 1, chapter 2, it begins with another vision and is introduced with the same words as chapter 1, verse 18, and says, quote, For I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, what Zechariah saw was a man with a measuring line in his hand. This vision is an extension of chapter 1, verse 16, where the Lord is saying he is returning to Jerusalem. He will have a measuring line stretched over that city. Obviously, the Lord wants the rebuilt Jerusalem to match divine code. Ezekiel, chapters 40 to 48, recounts strikingly similar wording to rebuild Jerusalem to exacting measurements. When Zechariah asks, where are you going, of the man, he replies that he is going to measure to see how wide and how long the rebuilt Jerusalem will be. In verses 3 to 5, the angel that had been standing with Zechariah 
and interpreting the visions, he, he begins to back off. He, de- he begins to depart. And another angel was coming out to meet him. This second angel speaks to the interpreter and says, Run, speak to that young man, saying, quote, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it, unquote. Now, the young man was Zechariah. What that angel prophesied was great prosperity and rapid expansion, so much so that Jerusalem's population was to overflow any boundaries. Verse 5 identifies the speaking angel that is approaching. He is the Lord. He is the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. He declares, For I will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Literally, he says, I myself will be that wall of fire. I myself will be that glory. For their entire history, Israel had been more concerned about their security than the worship of God. Here, the coming of Messiah says, I am your security. My glory will be in the midst of Jerusalem. He presents himself as worthy of worship. Exodus 3.14 uses the same words, I am who I am, which you could also translate, I myself. And the wall of fire recalls the Exodus. The glory of Zechariah 2 verse 5 is to assure the remnant that God will aid in the rebuilding of the temple. Verses 6 and 7 Start with the same shout. They both start with, Ho! This is a word of strong emotion and usually appears with solemn warnings. The angel of the Lord shouts and says, Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. The army of Babylon, who took the nation captive and wasted Jerusalem, they'd invaded from the north. The captives were marched more than 400 miles north to Haran before they were turned south down the Euphrates to Babylon. Then the Lord declares that he had dispersed Judah to the four winds. Some of Judah had fled to Moab, some to Ammon, some to Edom, and even some to Egypt. See, this is the first gathering back of the scattered ones of Judah. The diaspora of Judah. The problem was most of the men of Judah had dropped their faith somewhere on the way to Babylon. Zechariah's words were empty talk to them, for they felt that God had turned his back on them. Their forefathers had disregarded the prophets sent by the Lord of hosts. Rather, They listened to false prophets that taught them the lie that Jerusalem would never fall to a human army. Now, they believe that God had rejected his people. Moreover, life in Babylon was often more economically advantaged. It was a cushy life. And and there was little or no incentive to leave their material prosperity in Babylon to return to an apparent wasteland in Judah. The prophecies of Zechariah to 
call out faith. We're designed that way. See, Zechariah's, proph- Zechariah's prophecies were not for those who could see. They were not for the sighted ones. This was to be a by-faith response. Verse 7. The Lord, again, posts up, Ho, Zion! And then he commands, Escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. Now, the Medo-Persian Empire, that governed, then governed by um, Darius I, was the descendant of the Babylonian Empire. And it was ruling over Judah, both in Babylon and in, in the land of Palestine. The Lord calls out to Judah in Babylon to flee. And then he explains why. <clears throat> For thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 8, quote, After glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touched you touches the apple of his eye. And the first half of verse 8. There's a Hebrew saying that no one knows what the Lord of hosts meant. It's the after glory he sent me. Now some scholars want that phrase, after the glory, to look back to Israel's past. But the text is set in a future setting. Some scholars want it to be cast far into the future, into the kingdom of Messiah. But that doesn't fit the text. I read arguments on this text for an hour and a half, and no one yet knows what God meant. But he is, he is sending the angel of the Lord at some time or times against the nations that plundered Judah, saying, if those nations touched Judah, those nations touched the apple, literally the pupil of his eye. Now here in this last part of of, uh, verse 8 is one of 18 places in the Hebrew Masoretic text that a scribe, a copyist, was so shocked at the anthropomorphism, in other words, the attributed human characteristics to God, that God had an eye, Okay, that the ancient scribe shifted the text theologically from the literal statement, where God says, those nations touched my, the pupil of my eye. You know, that very center, that very focal point. Okay? And that that uh, shift was to preserve the understanding of that scribe and his sense of God's transcendence. But what the text said was that God's own eye the very center of the people was messed with when the nations plundered Judah. Verse 9 starts with, For behold, I will have my hand, I will wave my hand over them, so they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. <clears throat> now, you remember the exodus out of Egypt? When the Hebrew slaves plundered the Egyptians, on God's command. When this happens again, and it has not, then Judah will know that the Lord of hosts has indeed sent the promised one, the Messiah. Verse 10. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, 
For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. The same word pair, you know, for sing for joy and be glad, <clears throat> the same pairing occurs in, in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10. Psalms 96 and Psalm 98 and Zephaniah chapter 3 all speak exultantly of high praise when God is reigning and dwelling. The term dwell is drawn from the same root as the word Shekinah. That startling light that emanates from God's presence. The same word, Sakan, is used when the Lord dwells in the, te- in the tabernacle and then later when he dwells in the temple that Solomon built. Zechariah wrote and spoke as if these promised actions of the Lord were imminent, <clears throat> about to happen in his day. All right, let's read Zechariah chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And I want us to read um, Isaiah 56, verses 6 and and 7. It says, Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Now notice that as many nations come to join themselves to the Lord, they become, quote, my people. Four times Isaiah predicts Gentile nations will make pilgrimage to Zion to worship Yahweh. Again, the Lord promises to dwell in the midst of Judah. That settle in, dwell in, in in Judah's midst is followed by the word that says, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Zechariah does not embrace universalism. Those nations that come to bind themselves to the Lord must come on God's terms to become God's people. Nowhere in the text does Zechariah point to a date of fulfillment. The Lord claims Judah as his portion, his inheritance in the land. And here, just once, uniquely here, it is called a holy land. Nowhere else in the scripture does that term appear. The Lord promises to choose Jerusalem Again, see, Israel is God's own inheritance, and Judah will retain her distinct position and special relationship with the Lord. Verse 13 comes the recognition of God's astounding prophecies. The people, all human flesh, are to be silent before him, for he intends to accomplish on earth 
what is already true in heaven. He is aroused and he is coming. All right, Forge family. God promises his blessings and his presence on Judah and Zion. And he promises to reduce the Gentile nations that plundered Judah to sub-slave existence. He's putting Judah back into joint, back into covenant, back into his arms. Isn't that how we relate to him as well? That we come and we are restored to him. We confess our sins. We ask for forgiveness. And it flows to us by the very blood of Jesus. That blood is the highest surfactant. It dissolves every sin and guilt and shame and washes it away. And then we're back in his arms. Now, in this one chapter, there are nine prophecies yet to be fulfilled. In chapter 2, verse 4, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. In verse 5, I will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. In verse 6, you will be gathered from the land of the north and from the four winds where I have scattered you. In verse 9, you remember? Verse 9, he, he says, <clears throat> um, you will know, you will know that the Lord have, God has sent me, uh, sent me to you when the, my hand moves and those nations will be plunder for the slaves, those who are still in Babylon. See, that, that never happened yet. Okay, verse 10, I will come and dwell in the midst of you. Then in verse 11, many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And then the back half of verse 11, it says, I will dwell in the midst of you and you shall know that the Lord has sent me unto you. <clears throat> verse seven, excuse me, number seven, excuse me, the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the holy land. And the backside of verse 12, it says, I will choose Jerusalem again. So we get to watch and see if this comes to pass in our lifetime. Zechariah got a taste in his day. We too may taste of these fulfillments. We can look back at the work on the cross to redeem us out of sin and darkness. And we can see realities of Christ Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, present in the visions of Zechariah. We are blessed to look back and blessed to look forward. All right, Forge, let's pray. Lord God, we long for your presence. In that place where you are, all things are made right. All things are purified. All things are worthy of you. We too would be worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge. You're loved. We'll see you soon.